You're listening to the Grace Point Northwest podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Grace Point Northwest is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. And we hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday gathering. Good morning. My name is John. I'm the pastor of worship here at Grace Point Church Northwest, and I'm excited to be with you this morning, especially in this context. Now, if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and grab it, open it up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and we're going to continue our current teaching series entitled Unshakable Joy through the book of Philippians. In verse 12, Paul's proclamation to work out your salvation is one of the most important passages in the Bible regarding sanctification, regarding our growth and transformation into Christ-likeness. And the reality is there's so much happening within our text this morning, but my goal is to help make sense of this text both practically and relationally, especially in regards to who Jesus is, what He has done, and how you and I are to live in light of those truths. So tell me. Who or what have you modeled your life after? What experiences or what truths have influenced you and made you who you are today? Now, before we answer those questions, before we dive into our text, let's take a moment to pray. Would you join me? God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as it's proclaimed this morning, that you would be glorified. Would you soften our hearts so that we have a greater understanding of the gospel and a greater understanding of the life you've called us to as your followers? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, for you are my rock and you are my redeemer. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, my dad, well, I adored him. He was my hero. I wanted nothing other than to be just like him. He was tall strong. He was a soldier. He was a man with a high moral code. He was a gifted singer and a gifted guitar player. And one of my most vivid memories when I was a kid was my dad playing guitar and singing in the church band. I even remember him preaching at one time and I remember his preparation for that sermon. And I once I walked in on him in his closet as he was deep in prayer and preparation. I remember looking at him and thinking, I want to be just like that. Now, some of those traits I accomplished, and there's many that I didn't. And as I got older and I became a parent myself, I realized that that the best that we can do for others is simply be an inspiration. And here's what I mean. My dad had no power to change me. The only way he could physically change me was if he entered into my being and handed over his skills, handed over his accomplishments, his faith, his knowledge, and his abilities. And our text this morning is focused on us living, loving, and looking like Jesus. Having our eyes fixed upon Jesus, that we would look up to Him. That we would desire to be like Him. But if we're not careful, it feels like this life of following Jesus is just a series of ups and downs as we try our best, trying to be good, trying to be better. And I mean, let's be honest, we read verses like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where we see that Jesus did not sin. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, where Jesus tells us that, that, that we need to be perfect just like He's perfect. Jesus never sinned. Jesus lived a perfect life. And then He commands us to do the same, to be perfect like Him. Now, I don't know about you, but, but to me that's overwhelming and almost defeating because let's get real. No matter how hard I try, I'm not perfect. 
I know that's a shock to you guys, but if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife, you can ask my kids. They will gladly tell you how I'm not perfect. So how could any of us ever hope to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to look like Jesus? I know in my own life there's moments where um, there's improvements or there's moments when I feel like I've made some progress, but then I fail. What about you? Have you lived a sinless life? Have you reached perfection? If you're like me and your answer is no, if you haven't, then there's some good news. Let's look back at verse 12. Paul begins by saying, therefore. And we have to stop here because this word therefore is pointing us back to what he said before. We have to stop and see and remind ourselves of the context of this verse. And as we look back, we see that Paul has detailed for us the humility, the death, and the lordship of Jesus. That the Son of God did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but rather He made Himself to be nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. That He humbled Himself. Humbled Himself even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And so God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name and that every knee should and will bow down to Him. And every tongue will confess on earth, below the earth, and above the earth, the earth that Jesus is Lord. Therefore, Paul says, in light of all of that, he says, continue to obey. Look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul here is addressing those who know Jesus, who have surrendered their life to Jesus, who follow Him. And Paul is being a good and encouraging pastor here, and he says, look guys, you're already doing this. And he tells them, keep it up. Don't stop. Keep going. And I think we can find encouragement here as well. There's motivation for us in this text as well. You see, if you find yourself growing in Christian maturity... Realize that is the evidence of God working in you. It's the evidence of God's grace in your life. And as we have learned, Jesus was perfectly obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. And now, as his followers, he has gifted us his perfect life. And so now, when he looks at us, he sees, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfect record, as though we went to the cross and we have been justified. And when God looks at us, if we are in Christ, He sees us as if we've always obeyed. And with that in mind, Paul says, now press on. Continue in joy to be obedient. Look back at verse 12. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now we have to pause here because it's extremely important that we understand what Paul is not saying. Paul does not say, work so that you can earn salvation. We cannot earn salvation. We can't. Also understand, this is not a matter of teamwork between you and God where you work together and He does your part and you do your part and you both save you. No. But Paul is rather, he's saying, work out your salvation. There's a huge difference here. We are not working to earn something, but we're working out something. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through 10. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk 
in them. You see, we are not saved by our works, but rather we are saved for good works. Working out our salvation simply means that as Christians, we are on a lifelong journey of living out the faith that we have in Jesus. It's something that we keep on doing. Pastor and author Eugene Peterson, he calls this a long obedience in the same direction. Well, let's just be honest. That can be a difficult endeavor in this fallen, in this broken world. However, you and I are not left to live this life of obedience on our own power. In fact, you and I can work out our salvation because and only because that God is at work in us. Look back at Philippians 2, verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. As we have seen and discussed, Jesus has given us a pattern for what humble, others-focused, and God-glorifying obedience looks like. And that's the same life that you and I are called to live, that we're called to imitate. So take a step back. Look at your life from a 30-foot view and tell me, does your life look like this? Are you praying and striving for growth and humility? And are you pursuing holiness, selfless service, sacrificial mission? Are you living as though you really believe that Jesus meant what he said? I don't know about you, but when things get tough, it's easy to look for a shortcut. It's easy to give in and look for an easy way out. I grew up playing Nintendo and Super Nintendo, and I would always look up the cheat codes so that I could beat the game. Left, right, up, down, A, B, start. But when it comes to following Jesus, there's no cheat code. There's no special diet that we can eat to grow in Christ-likeness. Instead, following in the footsteps of Jesus requires us to daily pick up our cross, to daily pursue holiness and obedience to God. I remember when I was a kid, I had a a poster on my wall of the 1992 U.S. Men's Olympic Basketball Team, otherwise known as the Dream Team. And next to it, I had a poster of the great Larry Bird. I remember dreaming of being able to play ball just like those guys. I remember even sleeping with my basketball and dreaming that I could one day play like Larry Bird. I even remember every basketball season wearing number 33, Larry Bird's number, on the back of my jersey. And I remember asking my coach, Coach, what do I need to do to play like Larry Bird? And the coach just laughed at me and he said, Boy, you're going to need much more than a number on the back of your jersey to play like him. The point is, there's no shortcuts to becoming a professional athlete. It requires discipline. It requires long workouts. And so it is with the Christian's growth in Christ's likeness. We can't take a pill, eat kale, do CrossFit or become a vegan, and automatically turn into a perfect, sanctified person. And Paul instructs us, we must work out our salvation every day. And we do so by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And the truth is, this is hard. A long obedience in the same direction it's tough. It's difficult. I mean, we live in a fast-paced, fast-food, microwaved, internet culture. But the process of becoming like Jesus, this process entitled sanctification, it's more like a crock-pot dinner than it is a microwaved TV dinner. It's a slow process of living faithfully and consistently, even when no one is watching, even when no one cares. 
My prayer for you as one of your pastors this morning is that God would rekindle in you a passion for ordinary obedience. That you and I will live daily following the pattern of Jesus and clinging to verse 13, that God is the one working in us. Now, before we move on from this verse, we have to see that in verse 12, this instruction to work out our salvation does not solely speak to our obedience as individuals. It does, but it's so much bigger than that. You see, there's a corporate dimension to this verse. It speaks to the working out of our salvation, corporately, collectively, within the church, within the body of Christ. It speaks to how we as the church should conduct ourselves corporately. You see, it is a both and. It's both personal and it's communal. It's a call to us as the church community to rebuild social harmony by serving one another by putting each other before ourselves, to live in unity as one body. And as we do so, as we work out our individual faith, as we work out our salvation, that's what builds up the body. Church, God is at work in you, and He's at work in us as a church to produce in us good works of obedience. And these good works are the result of His grace in our life. And we work Because God works in us. And we can be confident and comforted by the truth that God will accomplish His good purposes in us and through us by the power of His Holy Spirit. Isn't that comforting? To know that you're not alone? We're not alone. God is at work in us. And and He will accomplish His good purposes in us and through us. And when we surrender to the power of God at work in us, then our obedience no longer becomes a battle or a burden, but rather it becomes a delight. Now the question is begging to be asked, John, how? How do I do this? What does it look like for me to be obedient? What does it look like? This is all great, but how do I and how do we as a church work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, let's look at verse 14. I'm glad you asked. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You see, he's saying we're to live all, all of life, doing everything we are called to do without grumbling, without arguing, without complaining, everything, all of it. Now, I don't know about you, but there's days when I wake up that I feel like I'm a professional complainer, professional grumbler. Think about this. Grumbling and complaining and arguing makes up at least 99% of all social media posts. We live in a time and place. We live in a society and a culture in which complaining is our first language. If you have little kids at home, you know this is true. And in my house, it takes place every day at dinner, at bath time, and at bedtime. Grumbling and complaining and arguing. I don't want to eat that. I don't want to sit next to him. I don't want to take a bath. In fact, the water's too hot or it's too cold. I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to go to bed. I want a snack. You get the point. The truth is, we're born complainers. And, as, and, and we don't stop when we get older. We simply graduate from complaining about bedtime to complaining about a million other things like politics and, and the weather and relationships and work and church and a, just a million other things. And I'm reminded of what Paul instructs us to do instead. In his letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see, rather than complaining, we are to glorify God in everything we do. All of it. Everything. And I think Paul points this out to us because this temptation to gripe and complain is a strong one. 
And here's why. Because following Jesus is hard. It's difficult. Discipleship is not an easy road. Pursuing holiness, giving generously, practicing hospitality, loving and putting others before ourselves, sharing the gospel. Let's be honest. It's hard. And this temptation to complain and argue is not only a personal temptation, but it's a corporate temptation as well. It's a temptation for us as a church to complain because at some point, someone's going to let you down. At some point, something or someone will not live up to your preferences and the temptation to complain and argue becomes very strong. I'm reminded of the griping and complaining and the detailed account of God's people in the books of Exodus and Numbers. We read about them wandering in the wilderness. And we read about how God miraculously rescued them out of slavery prior to that and how He graciously provided for them. But this, these, these folks still found something to complain about. They were given miraculous bread from heaven and they still griped and complained because they didn't have meat. They even rejected God, saying, God, why would you rescue us out of slavery? It would be better for us to be in slavery. See, the Israelites, what happened was they lost sight of God's redemption and they're focused on their circumstances. It's crazy. But you and I, we do the same thing. We do. You see, the question is not, will you be tempted to complain? Because you will. I will. You will be tempted to complain. Remember, complaining is the common language of our day, of our culture. The question is, when you are tempted to complain, what will you do? Or better yet, the question that we can ask is, how can we maintain a joyful attitude even in the face of problems and struggles, unideal circumstances? You see, if we're going to find joy, we have to run towards the gospel. And here's why. Because the gospel tells us you are far better off than you deserve. What do we deserve? Remember, the only thing that you and I deserve is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to keep sight of the gospel. We have to keep sight of the death and the resurrection of Jesus because when we lose sight of the gospel, we go down this dark hole of complaining. Think about it like this. Suppose you just won $1 billion. Awesome, right? All you have to do is drive downtown and pick up this $1 billion. And you're a billionaire. And so you're excited. You get in the car. You're driving downtown. You're about a mile away. And your car breaks down. Not to mention that it's middle of July. It's 120 degrees outside. How are you going to respond? Is that going to be a walk of joy? Or is it going to be a walk of, are you serious? Of course this will happen to me. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be all sweaty. I'm going to be a sweaty billionaire. What is your attitude going to be? One of complaining or one of gratitude? Church, listen to me. We only have one mile to go. And we will see Jesus soon. So rejoice. We may not have won a billion dollars, but we have something better. Jesus. And Paul tells us that when we live out our ordinary days with expressions of gratitude instead of expressions of complaining, he says in verse 14 that we get our shine on. Look at what he says. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, 
underline or circle or write down this phrase, children of God without blemish. If you are in Christ, if you know Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter who your parents are, or even no matter what your parents have done, you are a son or a daughter of God. You have been adopted by a perfect father, God. And the crazy thing is, you've done nothing to earn it, and you've done nothing to deserve it. There's something exceptionally special about adoption. Because God is saying, I want that one. That one is mine. You see, in an adoption, kids don't choose the parents. It's the other way around. The parents choose. And God has chosen us. And He chooses us. Even when we were sitting in our sin, He chose us. And He saved us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, He's growing us to be like Jesus. Church, God is saying to you, I want you. I choose you. I want you. How do I know this? Because Jesus lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could never live. And Jesus died instead of us, and He paid the consequences that we deserve because of our sin. And Jesus, He did not stay dead. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, interceding for us. And He's seated because it's finished. He did all the work. Think about this. How could we ever complain? How could we ever play the victim? How could we ever gripe or grumble or argue? And as we live this way, Paul says, look back at verse 15. He says, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. See, when we strive to avoid complaining, our language begins to look different from the rest of the world, from the rest of society. Our words of life will stand out as we defend and proclaim the good news of the gospel. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul instructs us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that it will permeate our heart and spill out in praise and proclamation. You see, God's word is the source of life, and it's the message that we communicate to the world. We can summarize it like this, Grace Point Church Northwest. Let's be a proclaiming church, not a complaining church. And here's why. If we are a complaining church, then we will become confusing to the world around us. So let's use words of gratitude. Let's use words of grace and love and faithfully proclaim Jesus to the dark world that we live in. And as we do this, Paul says, do so with the end in mind. Verse 16, he says, so that in the day of Christ... I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This phrase, the day of Christ, speaks to the truth that Jesus will return. And we will stand before Him. And as we labor to strive for holiness, as we run with the purpose and the aim of allowing the Spirit of God to work in us and through us, we can be confident that we will not be ashamed on that day when we meet Jesus face to face. And finally, let's look at verse 17 and 18, and we'll finish up here. He says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. These last two verses are incredible. They're amazing. They're, they're an incredible example to us. Paul's focus was not his suffering. 
Paul's focus was not his pain. It was not his circumstances, but rather his focus was on the love for the church and the hope that the church would be faithful and fruitful. See, Paul was happy to suffer in the name of Jesus for the advancement of the gospel. You see, Jesus emptied himself for us and Paul emptied himself for the glory of God. And Paul urges me and he urges you to do the same thing, to follow his example, that we would rejoice with him. And as we empty ourselves of ourselves in service and obedience to Jesus, friends, Jesus is worth it. And church, even in the midst of our current circumstances, even in the midst of the state of our society, you and I, we can find joy. We can rejoice. And here's why. Because Jesus is Lord. And He will bring to completion what He began in us personally and what He's began in us as a church. In Jesus, we're doing better than we deserve. So let's root our joy in Jesus. Let's live in the shadow of the cross and before the throne of God. Let's work out our salvation. Let's be witnesses to a dark world by not complaining, but rather by holding fast to God's Word and proclaiming the Gospel. And finally, let's rejoice. Let's have fun. Even in the midst of suffering, we can anticipate the coming day when Jesus will return for us. And that's good news. Let's pray. God, we love You and we look forward to the day when we stand face to face to you with You. However, we currently are living in a broken and dark world. But we can be confident because You're at work in us and at work in our church to bring us towards holiness and Christ-likeness. Give us the strength and the courage that we need to be obedient, to pursue after You. Lord, that You would grow us to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and to look like Jesus. Use us in Las Vegas to proclaim the good news of the Gospel, that we might see this city come to know You as the Lord and Savior. We love You so much, and we thank You, and we give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 